Well, good morning. Take your Bibles to uh, Ephesians chapter 2. This is our last message of the gospel. Not the last gospel message, not the last gospel presentation, but the last message of the gospel, G-O-S-P-E-L. We began with God's character. O is the offense of sin. S, sufficiency of Christ. P, personal response. E, eternal urgency. And then this morning, we're going to look at life transformation. We're going to be in verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Transformation is an incredible thing to watch. If you've ever seen something change uh, from one thing to another, I mean, if you've raised children, you've seen transformation. They go from uh, wearing a diaper to going in the potty, if you're on Facebook and saw the celebratory videos uh, from last night of, of calling grandparents, particularly for Jace, because boys are hard-headed when it comes to being housebroken. Um, uh, girls a little easier, we're finding out, which we were always told, but we, yeah, now I get to experience. Transformation is always incredible. Uh, I think probably just in, in my experience, and, and maybe yours too, what we can see, when we can see transformation, the most obvious is uh, butterflies. And I think it's the coolest thing to watch, and we got to do that um, a couple of years ago, and they haven't been back last year or two. Uh, not like we had. I mean, it was like a plague of butterflies. I mean, if you're going to have a plague, it, it might as well be butterflies, right? Um, uh, two or three, about three years ago, maybe, we have, uh, it was planted before we got here, a passion flower vine that grows behind the uh, carport over here on the house. And generally, what happens is it grows for the summer, Um, And one of two things happen. Either Cassie, our yard dog, decides that that's going to make a fun toy, and she begins to rip it off the fence, uh, killing most of it to where finally around winter, somewhere in time in the winter, I've got to go pull all the dead vines off the fence. Or butterflies take over. But they don't start that way. It's not like just a herd of butterflies shows up and start living in the plant. Uh, that, that is kind of what happens. But we got to see the incredible transformation. It was a great science lesson for our homeschoolers of egg to butterfly. We got to watch over and over and over the entire process. Like literally when we finally figured out what they were doing. At first I got rid of the caterpillars because they ate the vine. Then the next year though I started paying attention. and was like, oh, we've got something going on here. We, would, we got to where we were so observant of what was going on, we could see the butterflies when they were th- sit there and lay the egg. Now, you can't see the egg on there, I don't think. Okay, if you know where to look. Okay, see my little red dot? That's the egg right there. Little yellow uh, egg right there. They are tiny. I mean, that leaf is about that big. So you can imagine how small the egg is. Right here is a little baby caterpillar just coming out of the egg. So that's how, when we started looking and paying attention to the stuff around us, that's what we started. And you can see the little holes that some little baby caterpillars already been there, started eating on it. 
So we watched, we went out there, and, and what we ended up doing, and you're going to see some pictures from both inside the house and outside. What we ended up doing was going out and pulling some of these vines, the, the branches of the vine off, and putting them in a, a container so we could watch the whole process in the house. Uh, we made sure to get some leaves with vines, uh, with uh, uh, eggs on it. We made a mistake, though, right at first. We thought they ate whatever they landed on, so we came out here and got some, uh, some sort of trash weed that grows in these crepe myrtles back here and threw that in there, and they, they started dying because they, they didn't want that. They wanted passion flower. That's their favorite. And that's the only thing that this particular butterfly, Gulf fritillary, is the butterfly. It looks kind of like a monarch. You'll see that in a second. It's the only thing it eats is passion flower vines. So anyway, we saw, we saw the eggs, we took them inside, and uh, we watched them grow. This one's still actually outside. You see the caterpillar. They don't make the prettiest caterpillar. Um, there are some, you know, kind of pretty, colorful. These ain't it. Uh, they're, just, they're just ugly caterpillars. Can destroy a passion flower vine in the summer. Let me tell you, we have watched that thing go to nothing over the summer. But it's very hardy. It grows back. It's fine. Has no problem coming back. Then uh, they make their cocoon, their chrysalis. And we got to watch them, uh, not in the picture, you see this little dude over here, he's hanging by his something, uh, and he has begun to wrap that cocoon around him. They, they're basically spinning a web around themselves, and that web... Oh, that's right. They, that's right. They shed their skin. They, they, yeah, we have a video of, of uh, they, that's what the, the chrysalis is. It's their skin they shed for the last time, and it stays, and they stay inside. And we got to see them. This one is inside. We put that branch in there that they can hang on. Uh, it's just in a, uh, like a Rubbermaid thing. Then you see they start to come out. We got to catch them. I'm telling you, we watched every stage. We would, every day we'd go look in this box and we'd see one, we'd see a chrysalis start just vibrating just a little bit. Oh, they're starting to come out. And we, outside too, got to catch him as he was about to come out. You see his antenna or legs or something. Then they pop out. Their wings are all crumpled up at first and they slowly, you know, we got to see some that they didn't form right. They, they drop and they die and we got to see all of nature's process. They, they start fanning the wings to dry out, exercising, they pop, straighten out. And then once they, and you see, he decided to, he, she, it, who knows, uh, decided to uh, build on top of the lid there, or underneath the lid. And then we let them, let's see, then we let them go when they get outside, and that's, that's what they look like on, on a passion flower. Incredible transformative process. The, the, uh, there's little resemblance between that caterpillar and, and the butterfly that shows up later. And this took two weeks? Yeah, and yeah, maybe, maybe three weeks total life cycle from egg to... Because they, they grow in a hurry uh, when, when they're eating well. Incredible transformation to watch. And, and we can see that. I mean, that's just one uh, way in nature that we see it. You know, birth, you have a baby, and it grows and grows and grows. But it looks pretty much like a human the whole time, right? I mean, some days you're, you're wondering uh, if, if that's really a human in there in, in the room. But, uh, but most of the time, they, they, just, they just look the same as they, they just get bigger. Well, you know, this is huge. This cat, caterpillar to butterfly, nothing similar. That is exactly what Jesus does for us. That is the transformation that takes place when we experience the gospel of salvation that first time. 
And that's what we're going to talk about this morning, that, that life transformation. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are His creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. Well, let's remember not just our G-O-S-P-E-L, what they stand for, but what they mean. First of all, God, God's character. He is holy, He is just, but He is also good, and He is also loving. Those two things are perfectly weighted with God. He can be both loving and just. I read this week a discussion that said that God can both hate the sinner. You know, we say God loves the sin sinner, hates the sin, loves the sinner. Well, the interesting thing with God, according to what I read, is God can both hate the sinner and love the sinner at the same time. The, the hatred is, is his wrath that we rightly deserve. Remember, we talked about that a few weeks ago, six weeks ago now. That wrath that we, we rightfully deserve and have earned. That's that hatred that God has for our sinfulness, but directed toward us. But he is also, in the same, at the same time, loves us, sent his son. God, we can't do that. We're human. We can't love and hate somebody at the same time, not the way he does. God can. And so he does. And that, I've got to think about that some more. But having read it, I thought, okay, that, that makes more sense uh, than some, some other things that I've heard. So that's God's character. He is holy, he's just, but he's also good and loving. S the offense of sin is that it is deadly, meaning we die from our sin because of our sin. We, it is offensive to God. God and our sin cannot coexist. The only option for us is Jesus. He is sufficient, the sufficiency of Christ. He is all that we need, the perfect person, the perfect tool for our salvation. That is Jesus we have a personal responsibility, though, to respond to that gospel. It doesn't just happen to us. It just doesn't just fall over us suddenly someday. We have to have a personal response. And we need to respond because there is an eternal and an immediate need. There is an eternal urgency. Our decision of what we're going to do with Jesus affects our eternity. But it is urgent because we don't have a promise of tomorrow to make that decision. And then today, we're going to see L, life transformation. Our life is changed because of that relationship with Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.10 tells us that. Ephesians 2.10 begins with, For we are His creation, Paul says. Now, we can, we can agree with that. We are His creation, right? We're we all His creation. Paul means something more here than just the, the initial creative act, meaning we are something that He made. The context here of the passage is that we are God's new creation. We are something different. We are transformed. We are, the, we are the butterfly now where we once were the caterpillar. That's what he's talking about. That is the creation that Paul is getting to. Interestingly enough, the word here uh, for creation, and some of your, your uh, Bibles will say workmanship. Uh, the the trans word could be translated either creation or works. Uh, is another word, and that's why maybe your Bible says uh, workmanship. But another way this, church, this word is used, and if you, when I tell you the word in Greek, you'll, you'll hear it, it's poema or poem. It's the word for poetry. And, and while there's no 
clear indication here that Paul was making any sort of uh, uh, metaphorical statement. I think it is, it is clear, though, that, that there is a, when we're talking about creation or workmanship, we're talking about crafting. And good poetry isn't, um, you know, something that's just thrown together because it rhymes. Good poetry is crafted. There's a reason why there are very few Hallmark cards in our poetic literature, literature but we have Lord Byron, and we have uh, Shelley, and we have uh, Robert Burns. We have poets that when you study that, there are particular people you go back to and, and look at um, because poetry is crafted. But it also tells, you, uh, tells us of the significance I mean, rarely do we talk about poetry as being something that's, uh, I mean, you may not be into poetry, I'm, 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 that's, that's fine, but we don't talk about it as something that is normal or, uh, or just every day. You know, if, if, you're, if your husband, ladies, wrote you a poem looking at the husbands in here, most of the ladies would be a little surprised, and you would think, Wow, he really put some thought into this. Now, it may not be the best poetry, you know. Uh, I'm not even going to try. I'll just, I'll just leave it alone because I can think of some of the things some of the guys in here would come up with. Um, <clears throat> but I'm not going to do that to them. But you'd go, wow, honey, you, you really cared in, in creating this poetry, this, this, this in, at least in your world, a work of art. For me. Well, I, I love that that word conveys that, that we are God's poetry, but not just because He made us. I mean, as impressive as we are as His creation, as the fact that He made humans, and just like He made other animals, and He made the, the, the Rockies and the Himalayas and the deepness of the oceans and Mars that's going to be closer tonight to us than it ever, you know, regularly comes, and no, it's not going to be this big red planet in the sky. I mean, it's, instead of being that big, it's going to be that big. You know, it, it, you're just going to, oh, wow, okay, I don't see any difference. But, it, you know, so don't, don't, if you're on Facebook and you see the pictures of, the, you know, the planets colliding, no, that's not what's going to happen. Um, he made that, and, 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 and as that is poetry, but, but we are his magnum opus, we are the, the, the poetry that he looks at, not because we're human, but because we are saved. Because he makes us this new creature, uh, creation, this new creature. In Greek, his is the first word in the sentence. Remember, we've talked about this, uh, the, the emphasis on the first word of the sentence in Greek. So it doesn't say, for we are his creation. It says, his creation we are. His being the operative word. Him doing the work. See, salvation is not our doing. If I haven't made that clear, and I think I have, I need to make it clear today. It is not something you do. It's not something you earn. It's not something you can be good enough to receive. You accept the free gift, but you don't earn your salvation. There's nothing you can do to get that. And then there is a ma major transition or rather a major uh, transformation that we see from what we were in verses 1 through 3. Uh, go back and read verses 1 through 3 of chapter 2 with me just real quick. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler uh, who exercises authority over the lower heavens. 
the Spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out our inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. That's a pretty bleak picture, and we talked about that when we talked about the offense of sin. We talked about the O of gospel. Well, now, verse 10, we go from that to we are uh, created His creation For we are His new creation, something completely different than what we were. We were just an ugly old caterpillar, but now we are a beautiful butterfly saved by His grace, created in Christ Jesus. We are His creation, created in Christ Jesus. Jesus in us is what makes us new. God set up the whole caterpillar to butterfly thing and and the the, the, the caterpillar has everything in it it needs to later become this butterfly. Nothing's added to it. God has made it that way. But for us, there is nothing in us that makes us the new creation. There is nothing that God has put in us that is going to make us this new creation down the road. It is something that must be added, and that is Jesus Christ. Jesus in us makes us new. Paul is emphasizing here, making sure we understand that there is no salvation from anyone, any place, any institution that is not Jesus Jesus is our only source of salvation. And this is also telling us, if we're created in Christ Jesus, this is salvation with a purpose. Salvation that has a point. We are created in Christ Jesus. We're the new creation in Jesus because there's a purpose for it. God could have done it if he had wanted to, just kind of a blanket thing, no Jesus involved. That's not the way he did it. It's not the way he chose to do it. God is sovereign. He could have done it however he wanted to. He chose to do it this way. And when we have the author and perfecter of our faith, as Hebrew calls him, we then have a purpose. We have an example to live by. We have someone to follow when he says, take up your cross and follow me. We have a purpose in life. And this verb created, this word created is a past tense completed action. An action that was completed in the past, it does not have to be repeated. It doesn't happen over and over again. You don't get saved one time, fall off the wagon, get saved again, mess up, get saved again. It doesn't work that way. It is a one-time completed act that has ongoing benefits. And we'll talk about those ongoing benefits here in just a minute. We are His creation, created in Christ Jesus for a purpose And Paul gets to that purpose immediately. We are created for good works. This is the opposite of what we once were. When we were in the flesh, verses 1 through 3 tells us, we were basically creatures of wrath. Well, not basically. We were creatures of wrath. That was all we deserved. That's that's what he said in uh, verse 3. By nature, children under wrath. Now we are something completely opposite. If we were children under wrath, if, as we, he says, we were dead in trespasses and sins, if we walked according to the ways of the world, according to the ruler, the devil, we were on the devil's team, the, the spirit of the disobedient, 
our fleshly desires, living inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, what was our output? What, what were we producing? A bad tree produces bad fruit. We were bad trees. So we weren't producing good works. Now, can bad people do good things? Sure. But are those things of eternal value? Are those things that are uh, serving our Heavenly Father? No. Will they last? No. Good works that last are good works that come from a follower of Jesus. Otherwise, they, they burn up. They are wood, hay, stubble, as uh, Paul says in another letter. As a matter of fact, those things that Christians do that look good sometimes, depending on their motives, may not be good at all. may still be wood, hay, and stubble and won't last because of the, the intent behind it, the, the motivation behind doing it. It is the opposite of what we were. We are created for good works. And notice, and this is important, that these things come after salvation. You are saved by grace, he says in verse 8, through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his, new, his creation, his new creation, created in Christ Jesus at salvation for good works. So the good works come later. Understand your good works do not save you. Your, your good works aren't what get you there. As a matter of fact, we come to Jesus and then we repent. We have this idea and we expect people, and if you think back to last summer that we've addressed this before, we expect people to have to clean themselves up before they come into church so then we can tell them about Jesus. And that is the complete opposite of what's supposed to happen. We do not clean ourselves up before we come to Jesus. Jesus we come to Jesus and Jesus cleans us up. We come to Jesus and He will lead us as new creations to good works. The good works don't save you. The good works aren't even required to come to Jesus. What good works did the thief on the cross do in order to come to Jesus? What did he do to clean himself up? Not a thing. He hung there on the cross, heard this guy next to him, probably was maybe a little familiar with uh, his teachings or something, had heard about this guy, probably this rabble-rouser, probably made fun of him, mocked him, uh, just another crazy preacher. Then he hears what he says on the cross to the people around him, tells the other thief, dude, shut up. Clearly, this guy is something more than we thought, and I'm not even sure what, but Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Show me where he cleaned up his life before he come, came to Jesus. You can't. He came to him, and you can't show me any good works either after that. I mean, except for what a testimony. This thief whose name we don't know, who we know nothing about. We don't know why he's up there. It just says thief, criminal. We don't know why he was there, really. We don't know anything about his life. We don't know his name. He did nothing after that because uh, they went around breaking legs just a couple hours later to make sure they died before the sun went down. 
He had no time for good works. Yet what do we remember him for? His testimony about the salvation offered through Jesus Christ. I can think of no greater work. There is no greater work than to tell other people about Jesus. And that's what this man did as he hung there on the cross. That is good work. Good works are our purpose, our calling, our command. We must live for good works. And this is that result of the past action that I talked about. Salvation, this, this verb, this created in Christ Jesus, a past act that was once and for all with ongoing results. Those ongoing results are our good works. We are saved for a purpose. If people around us daily do not notice a difference in our lives from their own, we are not saved to good works. We may not be saved at all, but we certainly aren't doing the good works that we are created for. That is the reason we exist. And I'm not just talking about helping little old ladies across the street. That's wonderful that you do that. I am talking about biblical good works that we're going to get to in just a minute. We are His creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared this little phrase is, is maybe a, a little off-putting. I know it was to me as I worked through this. I'm okay. I've got the whole saved, uh, new creation, for good works. <clears throat> but then you tell me that those good works are something God prepared. And that sounds like more responsibility than I would like, to be honest. Uh, that sounds like God's telling me what to do. Well, duh. Yeah. It is. Uh, salvation is not of us. We, we discussed that. It's not something we do. We are His creation. But our good works are not of us either. Now we think we, we, we've got it all figured out. And that's what we do sometimes. God, thanks for my salvation. I've got it figured out now though. I know, I know what you need from me. I'll help you where I, I know you need the help. But then that's pretty much all I'm going to do. I don't, no, don't send me a list. I've got a list for you. These are the things I like. These are the things that I'm going to do. And if, if, if my list doesn't match yours, I'm sure mine's better. I mean, that's, we don't have that clear a conversation, but that's the way we live our lives. God, I've got this figured out. I don't, I don't know. Don't tell me what to do. I'll take care of it. But the good works are not of us. They're not our works. As a matter of fact, this, uh, this word prepared actually has more strength to it than that. It's thoughtful preparation by God. It, the, the image is sometimes used in other writings as preparing supper, a meal for people that are coming later. You know, it's thinking about, okay, we've got this many people, and so-and-so likes this, and this other guy, he likes that other thing. She, she doesn't like either of those, so i got to make sure they have something. And everybody likes dessert, and my best dessert is this. And it is thoughtful preparation. God did not just one day wake up and say, you know what? I guess I'll make Michael do this today. No, it was thoughtful preparation. Before my salvation, God had in line for me the good works that I would do. What's the purpose in that? Now, we can, it, it's, it's clear, I believe, that, that we, and we're going to see this in just a second, that we have a, a, an option to walk in those good works. 
You know, that God has his plans for us. He has his will for us. But we, he gives us the option of disobedience. So we can refuse to do those things that he has called us to do. He gives us that option in his sovereignty. He knows, but he allows us to choose to reject him, either at salvation or later on in, in what we're supposed to do. But our lives are much, much worse. And if you've got an hour, I'll tell you how that works and how that worked in our lives. Uh, I've told you before a couple of years ago, but if you haven't heard it, I'll be happy to tell you what happens when you tell God, no, it ain't pretty. Wasn't pretty for about seven years for us after we told God no. After we decided we knew better what the good works in our lives should be than he did. After his thoughtful preparation. So he's prepared us these things to do. He's prepared us this life to live. Why? I mean, it'd be less heartache for him if, if he would just say, okay, now do good stuff. And kind of stepped back and let us go. Just as we cannot boast in our salvation, just as we can only brag about what God did for us in our heart because we accepted Christ, just as we can't take any credit for how I'm going to go to heaven and get to tell people, well, too bad you're not as good as me then you could go to heaven too, just like me. Just as we can't do that, when it comes to our good works, we have no room to brag either. God created us for good works and prepared those good works for us ahead of time. So I might try to stand up in front of you and say, God has blessed me more by making me a pastor than he did the rest of y'all because none of y'all, except Mike, are pastors. But then that would be implying that I had something to do with this. That I had a choice to do it. I did, but not really. If I'm going to be obedient, I had no choice. I always have a choice to be disobedient, but what kind of choice is that? I'm not blessed because God called me to be a pastor. I'm not different because God called me to be a pastor. It was what He set out for me long before I was saved. The good works that I should walk in them. That's what this is. That's all this is. I have my path to take. You have your path to take. I can't boast in the fact that God called me to be a pastor. It had nothing to do with me. You can't boast in, in your good works. When you are one who has a gift of mercy that you use in the church, you can't boast in that mercy because God made you merciful. You're not making yourself mercy, uh, merciful. When you uh, are a giving person, whether it's financial or something else, you can't boast in that because God gave you the finances. God gave you the heart to give. When you have any, any good work, anything that you do for God, you can't boast in that and brag and say, Woo, look how good I am because it was all from God. God did that in you. Now, no... Um, this phrase is maybe not the most popular uh, from our current president, but uh, at one point our, our president did say in discussing people's small businesses, you didn't build that. And he took some, some heat for that. You didn't build that. It was a, 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 a conglomeration of people that allowed that to happen in your life. We may debate that. But if, 
if he had been talking about our good works, our life in Christ, he could have clearly said, and I will say today, your life in Christ, your salvation, your good works, you didn't build that. God did that in your life. And all you can do is sit back and say, God, I give you the glory for choosing me this ugly caterpillar to turn into a butterfly and bless people. And then he goes on to say, Paul finishes up this verse and this whole section here, saying, so that we should walk in them. Though the works were, were prepared for us, we have a responsibility. Listen to that phrase. You were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared that we should walk in them. You have an option. You have the option to be disobedient. But I'm telling you, that is no option at all. I mean, your children have an option to be disobedient. Generally, though, there's punishment for that disobedience. As we get older, there's not direct punishment, that, as we would call it, but there are consequences for our disobedience. You break laws. You are punished. You, there are consequences. You cheat at work or something. You, know, you, you, you slough off stuff that you're supposed to be doing. There are consequences. You can choose to be disobedient, but it is no choice at all. Because it shouldn't be a choice at all. If verse 10 says we were prepared, uh, we were created for good works, which God's, God prepared that we should walk in them, that should be a praise on our lips when we compare it to verse 2 that says we previously walked dead in our trespasses and sins. We should be excited about the opportunity. I get to work for God. I did get to do good works because at one time, I walked in deadness, in death, in my trespasses and sins. I was a spiritual zombie. Since zombies are so popular nowadays. Woohoo. I was a spiritual zombie, a dead man walking. I had nothing, but God saved me, and now I get to be, I get to walk in good works in Christ Jesus. Now, what does that look like? How should we walk? Paul gets to that in, verse, or in chapter 4. Chapter 4, starting in verse 1. And I'm going to read quite a bit, so go ahead and turn there. He uses the same word. He does this twice, and I'm going to have to get a drink of water right quick. In verse 2, you notice that word walk. You should have. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked. Then he wraps up this passage in verse 10. For we are his creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time, so that we would walk in them. Same word. Nothing, nothing fancy about it, except he's, he's ringing in our ears this, this repetition. Then in chapter 4, verse 1, <clears throat> Paul gets back to that idea. He teaches them a little bit more in chapter 3, the rest of chapter 2, chapter 3. Then in chapter 4, he says, let's get practical with this. 
And he begins, Therefore, I, the prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received. Hear that? Walk worthy. You walked in sin. Good works were created for you to walk in. Now, here's how to do it. Walk worthy in the calling you have received. Calling to good works. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, accepting one another in love, diligently keeping the unity of the Spirit with the peace that binds us. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Now grace was given to each of us according to the measure of the Messiah's gift. For it says, when he ascended on high, he took prisoners into captivity. He gave gifts to people. But what does he ascended mean except that he descended to the lower parts of the earth? The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he personally gave some to be apostles, good works to walk in. Some to be apostles, uh, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the training of the saints and the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into a mature man with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown about by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into Him who is the head, Christ. From Him, the whole body, fitted in it together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. Now, what Paul is not doing here, and I'll stop for just a second, what Paul is not doing here is saying, walk this way, walk this way, walk this way. But do you hear the ways we're supposed to walk? Verse 17, Therefore, I say this and testify in the Lord, you should no longer walk as the Gentiles walk. In the futility of their thoughts, they are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. That's not the way you should walk. But that is not how you learned about the Messiah, assuming you heard about him and were taught by him, because the truth is in Jesus. You took off your former way of life, the old self, you shed that chrysalis that is corrupted, the, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires. You're being renewed in the spirit of your minds. You put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness and righteousness and purity of truth. Since you put away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor. Because we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity. The thief must no longer steal. Instead, he must do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. No foul language is to come from your mouth. And somebody in here just grunted, I'm sure. No foul language is to come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. Don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You are sealed by Him for the day of redemption. All bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander must be removed from you along with all malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love as the Messiah also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrifice and, uh, and I can't read that word, fragrant offering to God. But sexual immorality and any... 
<coughs> excuse me, any impurity or greed should not ever be heard of among you as is proper for saints. Coarse and foolish talking of crude or crude joking are not suitable, but rather giving thanks for, for no and recognize this, every sexual immora, sexually immora, immoral or impure or greedy person is an idolater, does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of the Messiah and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty arguments, for God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of these things. Therefore, do not become their partners, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light results in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, discerning what is pleasing to the Lord. Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what is done by them in secret. Everything exposed by the light is made clear. For what makes everything clear is light. Therefore it is said, get up, sleeper, and rise up from the dead. The Messiah will shine on you. Pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is, and don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless actions, but be filled by the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music from your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. How is the church? Now, as the church submits to Christ, so wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless." The same way husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church. Since we are members of his body, for this reason a man shall leave his mother and father and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ and the church. To sum up, each of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. Children, obey your parents as you would the Lord, because this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you, and that you may have a long life in the land. Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your human masters with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. Don't work only while being watched in order to please men, but as slaves of Christ, do God's will from your heart. Serve with a good attitude as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good each one does, slave or free, he will receive this back from the Lord. And masters, treat your slaves the same way without treating them, without threatening them, because you know that both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand 
against the tactics of the devil. For our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. This is why you must take up the full armor of God, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, and having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand, therefore, with the truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of grace. In every situation, take the shield of faith, and with it you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is God's word. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request, and stay alert in this with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Pray also for me, that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth, and to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may be bold enough to him in him to speak as I should. Church, walk in the way that we should walk. Do the things that we should do. Be about the business of the church. Life transformation comes when we allow God to work in us. That is how we should walk. But y'all, this is just the result. This is just what happens when we come to Jesus. We come to Jesus and He transforms our life. We are different. We are new. We are ugly caterpillar to beautiful uh, butterfly. We are transformed. We are brand new. But you must choose Jesus. You don't get it without Him. It doesn't work. Don't think, I'm going to wait until I'm that beautiful butterfly and then I can come to Jesus. It will not work that way. The gospel is this. The gospel is that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. And Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. The wages of that sin, what we deserve because of our sin, is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, we have the way out. We have the offer. We have the free gift. But if, if you think, lest you think, I've got to clean myself up first. Romans 5.23, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God proved his love for us. He is not asking you to fix yourself and then come to Him. He is saying, come to me and let me transform your life. Let me show you how to walk in my ways. Walk in those good works that I have created for you as a new creature. Romans 10, 13, For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. There is no one beyond the reach of God's salvation. Romans 10, 19, if we confess with our mouths Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. If you hear the gospel, you can respond. If the gospel penetrates your heart, you can respond. When God calls, respond and let God transform your life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you have not left us to our own devices, that it is not dependent on us to, to go from ugly caterpillar to, to beautiful butterfly as if we somehow have to change our entire structure internally and externally in order to be something that we cannot be. God, you provide the power for that. You change us at salvation. It is not our own. 
But God, you then lead us to walk in these good works that you have prepared. God, you get the glory for everything in our lives. You saved us, you get the glory. We walk in good works, you get the glory. Lord, our lives are supposed to be all about you. And far, far too often, our Sunday mornings between 11 and noon are all about you, and we take back the rest of the week. God, forgive us for thinking our lives are about us. But Lord, let us turn our lives to you, to those works that you have prepared for us to walk in. And Lord, if there's someone hearing the gospel today and saying, I want that, Lord, break down the barriers that are keeping them from responding in faith. Let them know they're not too far gone. They don't have to clean themselves up. Lord, you take them right now as they are, and you will transform their lives. Lord, speak that we may hear this morning. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So how is your life going to be transformed? How should you respond? Maybe you need to accept Christ today. You need to trust Him. You need to give your, your heart to Him. Accept that salvation, that free gift. Maybe you need to be baptized. Join our church. That's why you need to come to our uh, new members class this Wednesday night. Learn about our church. Maybe you didn't even quite understand this whole salvation and baptism thing. We're going to talk about that Wednesday night. So you can be clear on what you need to do to follow in obedience. This morning, maybe you need to recommit your life somehow. Live a, a life. You're, you're not walking in the good works that you know God has prepared for you. This is your time to say, God, I follow you, and I will be obedient to your call. I will be used by you now. Whatever your decision is, we'll take a few minutes, and you can make that. Let's stand Let's sing. The altar is open. I'll be here to pray for you if you'd like, but let's do business with God this morning.